Good morning, and welcome to um, my backyard. <laughs> now we can't gather this morning, but that, that's okay. We're just trying to make the right call and the right decision, and so we're all just going to worship from home today. But we wanted to continue in our series on Jesus from John, and uh, it's important that we stay on track because we're leading up to Easter. And today, it's actually probably of all the weeks that we wouldn't be allowed to meet, this is probably the best one because uh, the what we're going to cover today is a little shorter than what um, the, we've been covering in the other weeks. It's only about 20 verses in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. And if you need a minute to get to John chapter 8, just pause this and get there. All right. So uh, we're in John chapter 8 and we're coming to a story that's really interesting. But I you know, tried to be uh, talk about the overall goals of the book of John and everything as we've been going through. Um, and one thing I want you to know about this story we're going to come to today, it's uh, called The Story of the Woman Caught in Adultery. Um, dynamic story. It's amazing. Um, but there is a thing about this I think that we should all be aware of, be transparent. And that's that as um, after the Bible was compiled and all of this was included, they have now found earlier manuscripts of the book of John. And in those earlier manuscripts, this story is not in there. So we don't know exactly why that is. Maybe there's something wrong with those manuscripts. Maybe it was added later by someone else. But nevertheless, we are very confident that this actually did happen, regardless of whether John actually wrote it down or not. Um, But it did happen. It's consistent with everything we see from Jesus and everything we know about him, so it doesn't present any problems. But I feel like in the interest of transparency, you should make that clear before we get into what we read today. And if you look, if you have a Bible that's a study Bible or has footnotes, you may very well look down and see a footnote that says something to that effect in your Bible as well. However, this is so incredible what we see from Jesus, and we are confident that it did in fact happen, um, that we got to talk about it. And I think it bears an entire week to just talk about it. It's in John chapter 8, um, starting in, well, verse 1, but uh, we're going to you know skip over maybe just a little bit right at the beginning. But I think this is important because we need to think about how we react to Jesus as the Christ. And we need to think about how Jesus as the Christ reacts to us and how he views us and what we should do in response to what he does for us. So if you've got your Bible and you're not already there, get to John chapter eight. Something's moving around behind me. I think we have a squirrel in the congregation today. So with any luck, we will have one squirrel salvation. That would be incredible. Um, We're in John chapter 8. And um, so, you know, last week Jesus had this big confrontation with the Pharisees, right? And uh, people were trying to decide who he was. And they were very confused. And some said he was the Christ and some said he wasn't. The Pharisees weren't saying anything about it. And then Nicodemus sticks up for him, if you remember all that. And um, everybody goes home. And we talked about that last week. Everybody went home. Now, um, everybody went home except Jesus. He didn't, he didn't go home. Well, he didn't really have a home besides maybe his mom's place. And so uh, he goes to the Mount of Olives for a bit. And then the next day, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. This would be the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, that's where he is. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
So you can see, so the conflict is going to be increasing here because he already had a run-in with the Pharisees in the last chapter that we read and everybody goes home. Jesus goes and chills at the Mount for a little bit, comes back the next morning and he's right back at it. So of course with Jesus right back at it, they're going to get back at him. So um, look at verse three, then the scribes, there they are, and the Pharisees, there they are, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, so this is in the middle of everyone, they bring him to the public place where Jesus is teaching people. They find this woman who has sinned and she has no excuse. She was caught in the act, so she definitely did it. That's not the question. They bring her to Jesus while Jesus is surrounded by all these people he's teaching and while he's surrounded by, well, of course, the Pharisees, right? And, uh, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, see, they come up with a plan. They think, we can get him. We can get him. All right, uh, we'll bring this woman to him. We will put him in a lose-lose situation. All right, this is what they do. All right. Now, Moses, this is verse 5. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. All right, this is a a reference back to Old Testament law. She should be stoned. But what do you say? Now this they said, and it telegraphs, John tells us why they asked. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. All right, let's pause right there. So what they've done, they've brought this woman to Jesus. They know she did it. That's not the question. They know she did it. And they think, all right, we're going to put Jesus in a position where he has to choose between two things. And either way, we got him. They think, they're so, they think they're so smart. So on the one hand, if Jesus ch- says, yes, law says to stoner, go do what you got to do, then they can accuse him of uh, betraying this message of grace and mercy and belief and forgiveness and all this that he's been talking about. Essentially, they can say, see, 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 he's not what he says he is. And Jesus is in this transitional part in history, this transitional time in history where they've been so used to living by the law, but now he's teaching them and showing them something different and they think they're going to get him here. The other option he has is that he says, no, 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 no. Forget what Moses said. I say this woman needs to be forgiven and get a fresh start. Well, then they've got him again, don't they? Then they have him with betraying Moses or going against the law. So they think either choice he makes, he's going to lose. Uh, what they don't know is that Jesus is smarter than them and he knows exactly what's going on. And so Jesus chooses secret option number three that nobody considered. Here we go. Ready? Where are we? All right, so they may have something of which to accuse him. This is the middle of verse six. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love secret option three. I think it's amazing. He just pretends he doesn't hear him. He completely ignores him. He bends down into the ground, into the dirt, like the dirt where I'm standing right now, and he starts to draw. What does he draw? We don't know grocery list, stick figures. We don't know. Who knows? Might've been playing picture. We don't know. He starts drawing something and then look what happens. All right, keep going. Verse seven. So when they continued asking him, so he's bending down, pretending like nothing's going on, drawing in the ground. They continue at him. They persist. They won't give up. They keep asking him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Then it says he raised himself up and said to them, 
He who is without the sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Hang on. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. This is like, this is the most boss move you will ever see from Jesus. <laughs> They're getting at him. And he says, hey, whoever one of you is without sin, you can go first. Go ahead. And he goes back to the ground and he starts writing again. Now, we know, we know who Jesus is. We know what's going on. And, and frankly, there's only one person sitting there who's without sin, right? And he's the one drawing in the ground. And so Jesus can start this thing if he wants to, but he's not going to. And so what do they do after he says that? Now he's drawing in the ground. Verse nine, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. This amazing. Standing there, their conscience convicts them, which makes me wonder, you know, everybody wants to speculate on what was being drawn on the ground, you know, and you come up with all kinds of stuff. But I think the speculation, I think the most likely scenario is that Jesus is writing uh, lawful commandments, all right, the law, maybe the Ten Commandments, maybe other laws in the dirt that he knows every single one of them have broken to prove a point, to prove to them that they've all done it too. Okay, so nevertheless, whatever he's writing, whatever it is, for some reason, some way, while they're standing there, they get convicted. And and the way that John words this, the way this is worded is really interesting to me because it feels like there's a trickle that happens, almost like a slow clap. You know, you know what this, you know what a slow clap is? You, you've experienced a slow clap. I try to start the slow clap often. Um, it does it doesn't actually work in real life, but in movies, what happens is something incredible happens, and everybody's in awe. And then one person stands up, starts clapping. And then another person starts clapping. And another person starts clapping. And another person and another person until everybody's standing and everybody's applauding. This feels like that to me, but a little bit in reverse. (laughs) As they're standing there, the oldest people among them are the first ones to be convicted of their sin. Let's face it, they've got the longest rap sheet and hopefully they're the wisest. And so they realize what's happening and they say, okay, it can't be me. And they walk away and they walk away and that breaks the ice for someone else to walk away and someone else and someone else, someone else until eventually they all go. And this is incredible. And as far as we can tell, everybody leaves. As far as we can tell, the, the, the scribes leave, the Pharisees leave, even the people potentially that are listening to Jesus teach, they leave too, everybody, everybody goes. And then this, the middle of verse nine. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, no longer in the midst, but verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus, he could have thrown that first stone, right? But he didn't. 
No, instead he looked at her. She knew what she'd done. I mean, she couldn't hide from it, right? She was caught in the very act. But these religious people brought her, and yes, they were trying to trick Jesus, but ultimately they were taking this woman and were trying to make a public spectacle out of her. Jesus wasn't going to have that. He runs them all off. And once he's run them all off, he makes something really clear to her. That he's not going to cast that stone at her. That he can offer her something that none of the rest of them were going to or willing to offer her. Mercy. And so he says, I'm not going to throw that stone at you. But he also says something very important to her after that, doesn't he? Go and sin no more. I'm not going to judge you for this, but it's not okay that you did it. Okay? I forgive you for this, but you got to make a change in your life. And I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. Is that when Christ died on the cross, he died to pay for our sin. And in order to be forgiven for our sin, we don't have to change anything necessarily. We just have to believe that he did that for us and trust him to be our savior. Trust him to be the the Christ, the savior and the Messiah and, and believe that he's forgiven us. But then I think he looks at all of us after that and says, okay, you're my child. Okay, I'm not going to judge you. No, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No, I am not going to hold this against you. But go and sin no more. If we want to have fellowship with the Father and we want to have fellowship with other people, then we need to listen to that command from Jesus. Go and sin no more. And I think it's really important for us to see here, um, before we go on to the next verses, that what the Pharisees wanted to make a public spectacle out of, the person that, G, that they wanted to put up in front of everybody else is this example of sinfulness. What they wanted to deal with publicly, Jesus dealt with privately. And that, to me, is a really important takeaway from this. And that Jesus is not in the business of making everybody's sins public and making public spectacles of us, and we shouldn't be doing the same. But that Jesus is dealing with people in one-on-one conversations, and we should be doing the same as well. But he says, you got to basically, this woman, Jesus may have said in this situation, I don't condemn you, but she's got a choice to make now in her life. And we'll never know what choice she make, she made. But Jesus said this in verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I love that. And she's got a choice. She's going to go and she's got to decide what she does with this now. We all have to decide what we're going to do with this now. And it all comes down to what we believe about Jesus. Do we believe that he saved us? Do we believe that he's the Messiah? Do we believe that he's the Christ? Do we believe that he wants good things in our life and that he he wants us to walk with him and to walk in the light? In the next few verses, um, we're not going to read them in depth, but verses 13 through 20, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say basically the same thing they've been saying to him over and over and over again. Okay, Jesus, you say you're the Christ. Who says? Who says? Prove it. And if you're just saying that you're the Christ yourself, we can't believe that. That's not enough evidence. And Jesus basically says the same thing he said several times as we've been going through John. There's been multiple cases now where Jesus says, I don't, I'm not the one saying this. John the Baptist pointed to me and he said it. The Father is showing it through the signs and the things that I'm doing. I don't have to prove anything to you. 
I love the assurance that Jesus has. He doesn't need to prove himself to these people. He said, listen, what I've done is enough. What I've done is enough. And he says, listen, um, even if I bear witness of myself, this is in verse 14, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. For you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, but I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And they say, well, where's your father? And Jesus says, you don't know me or the father. If you'd known me, you would have known the father. Jesus is once again saying, listen, you judge people on the outside. You want to see the signs. You want to see proof. You want to see evidence. You want to look at this woman who's caught in the act of adultery and you want to judge her, her behavior. And Jesus is saying, I look deeper. I know more. And I see what's really in the heart. And so I don't need to prove myself to you because I, I am what's true. He says, listen to this, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. I am one who bears witness of myself. Every time Jesus says, I am, you need to know this. Every time Jesus says the, the phrase, I am, he is claiming to be God. That's the title for God in the Old Testament, the great I am, I am. And uh, Jesus is consistently saying that. And so he's digging deeper and deeper. And so here's the question. I'm just going to cut it down to this. I want you to think about it. I want you to know that about Jesus, that he forgives us, forgives us of our sins, but he also looks at us and says, go and sin no more because he wants real life for us. And he gives us that in the power of the spirit. But we're getting back to the same thing that we get back to every single week in this series. And I hope it doesn't sound like a broken record because it isn't. It's just the truth. This is all based on who we believe Jesus is. Is he the son of God? Is he the Christ? Does he forgive us through his death on the cross? Does he give us life through his resurrection on the third day? And listen, as you're spending some time at home, whether that's by yourself today or whether that's with your family, I want to encourage you to focus on that, to think about it and affirm who you believe Jesus is. And I also want you to start thinking about as we get closer to Easter, you know, with everything that's going on right now, it's causing people to think a lot about their lives and a lot about what matters most and how to prioritize their time and what's really valuable. And this might be the best year we've ever had to get ready for Easter and to invite our friends to church so they can find something that's really worth having hope in. I don't know. I look at the world and all the things that we're canceling and ending and whatever else and say people are losing things that they have a whole lot of hope in. <laughs> I mean, the economic result of what's going on right now with so many things closing down and people are losing work. And here's what I know, what I hope you know, but what a lot of people don't know is that our hope shouldn't be in this world. Our hope shouldn't be in our jobs and our hope shouldn't be in our health. Our hope should be in Jesus Christ alone. And you may know that and I may know that, but there's a lot of people around us that don't know that. So let's think about who we could share that with. Maybe we invite them to Easter service. Maybe we start talking to them about our faith. And maybe this whole thing that's going on gives us an opportunity to do that. Take that seriously. So let's do this. Let's just take a moment and uh, I'm going to pray with you right here over video. <laughs> and uh, I want to pray with you. And then you or whoever you're watching this with on Sunday morning, I want to encourage you to take a minute and to pray on your own for the things that are on your heart that you feel like um, God wants you to bring to him. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, I thank you so much for your love and I thank you for all that you've done for us. Um, we're in a season right now, regardless of what the outcome of all of this is and, and how it all plays out. Uh, I know I, in my lifetime, I've not experienced something like this. This is new and probably is for most people or all the people um, that are watching this video. And so for some people that means anger, for some people it means fear, for some people it means confusion. Um, and God, I pray that you would just use this as an opportunity for ministry for us, but if nothing else, for us to recognize our complete reliance and dependence on you and to know that you're doing bigger things and that um, our goal through all of this should be to figure out how we can bring you honor and glory. God, I thank you so much for your forgiveness and your grace. I look at how Jesus dealt with this woman who was caught in the act, no excuse, couldn't say that she didn't do it, couldn't say, couldn't blame someone else, she did it. And yet, Jesus, you looked at her and you said, I don't judge you. But you also looked at her and you told her not to sin any longer, that she needed to learn from this, that she needed to change. And we pray and hope that she did. But for us, we affirm to you right now that we believe that you're the Christ, the Messiah. We believe that you died on the cross for our sin. We believe that you rose again. And we believe you are our savior, that you've forgiven us, that you've forgiven me of my sin, that the person watching this video believes that you've forgiven them of their sin. And we thank you for that grace that we didn't deserve and we didn't, didn't, didn't warrant anything for us, for you to do that for us, but you did it for us. So we thank you for that. We also take it to heart what you said to her after, that they should go and sin no more. And so I ask God that in the light of our forgiveness, you would show us, you would shine a light on our sin so that we can see where we failed you, where we've let you down, and we can correct it. Maybe in this time where you know, school may be out, we may not be working, we're quarantined to our houses, that you may use this peace and this solitude to show us some of those things and to give us some time to breathe, to reflect, and to figure out how we're going to walk closer with you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.